A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Foundation Podcast. We are the Lorehounds, your guides to psychohistory. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our coverage of the Apple TV Plus original series, Foundation. In this podcast, we have a special guest. The showrunner of the show, David S. Goyer, um, came on to the podcast, and we got to interview him. And uh, it's been a lot of fun, John. That was an amazing conversation. And he was such a nice guy, like so yeah. so conversational, so down to earth, and and really grateful to him and his PR team for helping us work this out. Great. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a great experience and I hope everyone enjoys the interview. I, I, you know, I feel like if he weren't a busy showrunner, he might just be a guy in one of the discords talking with the rest of us. Uh, his he might have a podcast, of, you know, yeah. like breaking this stuff down. <laughs> exactly. Um, and thank you to our lore masters. We, asked uh, several, we asked all of our lore masters to send in some questions and, and we got a few and thank you to our uh, various co-hosts as well for, for their questions. So um, yeah, I think it was a really interesting thing and, and it gave me a lot of insights into the show, into his design and production aesthetics and the, the way he goes about, you know, uh, making a complex show like this. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, was laughing with us. He even poked fun at us a couple times. And, uh, <laughs> he's listened to the pod, which was was fun because we got to sort of compare notes. And uh, this this was a great conversation, really fun interview. And uh, I yeah. love the question: <laughs> Which one of you is obsessed with Barkley? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think that well, that might have to make it onto a t shirt or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That that'd be a good t shirt. I gotta say, and be some good merch. Uh, okay, so I don't think we should um, banter around too much more. We should just get right into the interview. Remember, you can send feedback to empire at thelorehounds.com or head over to our website and uh, there you can use uh, the voicemail or the contact form and uh, send us uh, any questions that you have. We don't know if we're going to be able to interview him again, but we are coming up on the last two episodes of the season. We're going to do a season recap. So if you've got thoughts, feelings, ideas, you know, whatever you got to say, make sure to send us something and we'll have a um, we'll have a nice in-depth conversation about the season and everybody's feedback. So be sure to send those in. Cool. All right. Well, here's David. OK, David Escorier, welcome to the Lorehounds. It's so great to meet you. Thanks for coming on. 
my my pleasure. Uh, I enjoy your show, and um, these are fun for me to do. Cool. Have you you've been getting a chance to listen to a few of our episodes? Then, yeah, I. Um, when you guys reached out to me, I, I'm not sure whether it was who you reached out to, but anyway, I, I, then I, I went back and, uh, just like in the pandemic, I've started running again. So that's when I start listening yeah. to these podcasts. So I've actually right. heard them all. <laughs> good, good. That's yeah. great. <laughs> that's flattering. Um, so yeah. And you've been able to do a few other podcasts. So I think that's just really great that, um, for showrunners and writers and people in production to be able to communicate with the fans. It means a lot to us. And I think knowing that you, I've been keeping a list of questions for you since like episode two, I think. <laughs> so it's just really exciting to be able to, uh, to have a conversation with people who are involved in the show. I it, look, it's exciting for us to do it. It's it's I, we put a lot of thought into the show and it's fun to hear different theories, but you know, my hope was that aside from being entertaining, that this would be the kind of show that would, you know, evoke a lot of different conversations about, free will or agents or just whatever it right. is robots right. and all sorts of things and i and i love these kind of free wheeling sprawling conversations and it's fine if not not you know if still people have like nits with various things that's fine right well, right right you know? yeah exactly <laughs> so well today we've got um john and i've got uh, some questions that we are uh, interested in in having a conversation with you and then what we did as well we have a patreon and we asked our sort of top tier subscribers, we sent out a big message to everybody, said, hey, if you guys got questions, nice benefit for you know our, our subscribers. So they've sent in a bunch of questions and then we do a bunch of side projects and we have different co-hosts. So we got mm -hmm. them to uh, send in some questions. So we've got a little section on that. And then we've got cool. a little speed round. I kind of stole that from the official podcast. So I thought All good, nice all good. Little, little bring, bring them on. Right. So, um, well, let's, let's dive in. Um, I think for me, one of the biggest questions that I have when, you know, looking at a show like this or especially a show like this is what does it look like? What does the show Bible look like? Is there a giant red string board? <laughs> like what is, uh, what is the actual like functional process of how you, um, take the content out of the writer's room or, or that, that, that supports the writer's room? so that you know folks can do the work that they need to do and i just was thinking too about the function of the writer especially as we're reflecting on the strike and and mm -hmm. all of that that's going on you know writers are more than just people putting words on paper they're making choices like septum and scepter which is a great sure. little line or uh, the Greek unit of uh, mil the Greek military unit of all husbands, right? Like a writer yes. knew that. Chat GPT didn't know that. A, a writer knows yes. that. Or weaving in things like the Mahabharata, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Yes, you know. So you know, just that process of of writing and what writers do, but then also like, how do you document this knowledge so that you can actually functionally use it on a you know week to week basis as you're breaking the show. I'll, I'll try to answer that as best as I can. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the basic process is, it, you know, at, at, at a certain point before, you know, I will say we've already written season three. Uh, okay. We, we have to um, because, you know, it takes a good six months to write a season. And if we didn't have that at least ready to go, it would take two and a half years to make a season or something mm -hmm. like that. But um, so 
prior to season one, season two, season three, I wrote or I write out a kind of vomit document of just like top level, here are some things that, you know, I'm thinking about for the season. You know? And sometimes there's little bits and pieces. Sometimes there's historical references. Sometimes books I've been reading that have gotten myself going. Doesn't mean we'll do all this, but like before we meet with the writer's room, I'll send that out a couple of weeks ahead of time and just like chew on this for a while. And then let's talk about it. And then, kick it around, make it better, whatever it is. And, um, you know, I tend to assemble writers rooms kind of like a baseball team where people have different skill sets. So there's usually only one person like me, uh, another person like me on the show, which is like a big sci-fi geek per se. So actually most of our uh, writers are not science fiction geeks necessarily um and and sometimes i'll pull from short story writers or playwriters or you know we had season one we had writers from weeds and deadwood and 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 shows that wouldn't necessarily be considered genre shows per se and but I, i i i want the room to be composed of not just Star Trek and Star Wars geeks because I I, I want to cast mm-hmm. a wide net nice. and I, I think good drama is good drama and so as we start to break the season I simultaneously as we're putting things together and it, it takes about two months to break a season you know okay. um, I will then also create a document for the production arm who are then ramping up pre-production so for the the production designers and costume designers and i'll say this is here's where i think we're going here's the vibe of the different worlds and the new cultures that we're thinking about as you start to do early scouting for locations or whatnot think about all of this so that happens organically for the production arm kind of at the same time that we're building uh the season structurally and then we have a, a script coordinator and uh, also a writer's assistant who are assiduously taking notes as we go and compiling, for lack of a better word, a document. And, and like as, as we break the individual episodes, starting to sort of place pertinent material or side material into those silos. Right. And then that gets turned over also to production so that they can comb over it as we're going, or if there's sometimes details that didn't make it into the scripts, but might inform um, the people making the props or things like that. Did, 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 did that answer the question? Yeah. Uh, and I was curious too, is it, is it a PDF? Is it a Google doc? Is it, you know, like, is it just a literally just a written word document that has some indexed or cross-referenced or yeah sometimes uh it's mostly a written word document sometimes i will have visual inspirations that will throw in or hyperlinks to things sure um, yeah yeah it, it it and it's been a pdf it's been a google doc it's been all of those things you know uh, uh and then you know we also try to come up with a a a kind of glossary and even a pronunciation guide perfect for yeah. each season Right. Because, you know, when you're spanning multiple episodes across multiple seasons, you know, when you bring in a new director or you bring in some new folks, how do they know to bring, oh, they use that in season X, episode Y, and then there's a little callback, you know, uh, you know, another season uh, down the road. And that's the kind of 
stuff that we geek out on as, as yeah. you know, uh, yeah. TV fan, you know, and TV fandom. And it's just lovely to see that richness and that depth in the stories where you feel the show is talking to itself. You yeah. Know, and it's well, consistent. I, so, so, and it's also more difficult because we, we, we block shoot everything. So, or we cross board everything rather. Right. So it's not like we do episode one and then episode two, we, cause we shoot in multiple countries. And so we'll shoot out a country and then move to another country. So on any given week, we could be shooting. Uh, and then I would say 60% of the time we shoot two full un- units at the same time. So we might be shooting scenes from episode six uh, on one of the units one day and episode 10 on another. And then the next day, scenes from episode one and episode so it's all in a blender so i i have a high level i kind of oversee everything and so what we do is and this is a lot of detail but i'll finish up yeah no i do a tone meeting with the director and the um uh the assistant director and the um director of photography of each episode. So like this small group of four or five of us where I will go through each scene and talk about what's happening here and point out things like you're talking about. And okay. I'll say, okay, this references that episode. So go watch that scene, or this mm. is meant to be a callback or visually, or so I do that. And then we have a broader meeting with all the department heads after that, maybe the next week where we spend about, three to four hours per episode also going over all of that. And then if I, and because I also direct, if I can't be there on set and I often can't, obviously if we're shooting two units at once, I can't be there. Um, I have two kind of junior producers that are there on set all the time that are coordinating with me and just, you know, making sure sharing your galaxy brain yeah 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 Yeah. and and even with all that we screw up sometimes right i mean it's just inevitable (laughs) but that's kind of kind of the process cool well that's awesome uh i guess you're you're gonna need a prime radiant so you can be super positioned that the different sets i know (laughs) that would help you quite a bit i know you know, I, my first question kind of dovetails with what David is saying, which is, you know, we talk a lot about, on our show about this thing that we've tossed around of the Shippy test, which is by Tom Shippy, as he was talking about the Peter Jackson adaptations of The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. He talks about, you know, you change what you need to change to fit the medium, but you have to keep the core of the material to make it translate well. You know, you have sure. to find, find what made it special to begin with. Sure. Are there a couple essences of a foundation of Asimov that you found as you were going into this adaptation that you're trying to translate into the show regularly? Are there, are there, you know, are there head bullet points in your, in your big show Bible that says, okay, this is, this is the theme of this season or the show as a whole. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I've never heard that phrase, the shippy test, but that, that has been the boss. Oh, okay. Well, but that's been the process because I've adapted a lot of, um, you know, intellectual property, you know, whether it be Batman or Superman or the foundation, Sandman. Uh, and so starting going back to Batman when Chris and I were working 10, 20 years ago, uh, I, I call it sort of um, that, you know, sh- trying to isolate this sort of literary DNA mm-hmm. of it and and figure out, have we identified the essential 
um, components of this that that make Batman Batman or make Sandman Sandman. And so if the author is still alive, in the case of Neil Gaiman, you know, we would present that to him and say, have we, did we got, have we, have we nailed the central components? And, and at the same, by the same token, and what are the things we should just never do? Right. So uh, in the case of Asimov, he's not alive, but that person um, that's fulfilled by his daughter, Robin. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, who is the sort of executor of his estate and and has the keys to the kingdom. And so I, at some point, I, I remember early on when the rights were available, a lot of people were throwing their hats in the ring. And I, I wrote up a quick little document of like, th this would be my take. And I think this is what's important about foundation. And here's what, how, what I would add or change with the genetic dynasty. And, and she dug it all and, and said, yes, you, you've nailed it. And so I, if without going down a rabbit hole of what makes it quintessentially important, I think that, you know, the, the, the themes of humanity and history being cyclical, that we're doomed to repeat the same mistakes. If we, we, we can look to the past in order to predict the future, mm -hmm. uh, the themes about, you know, free will and agency uh, in a potentially deterministic, you know, universe. As you fold in the robots, obviously there's themes about that as well. Um, the expansion of humanity, empire, legacy, uh, kind of all of these things. And I think right. that, and I've talked about this in other interviews, you know, it's the source material was written over 70 years ago. Mm -hmm. And there were inevitable, there are no female characters in the first book. So there were right, inevitable right. things that had to be changed. And Asimov, particularly the early stories, is very scant on, on you know, his, his characters are largely mouthpieces, you know, uh, for ideas that you don't know much about their interior lives. And, and massive things happen off screen. So these were all things that we had to change. And the other thing to keep in mind with this is, you know, I'm, I'm acutely aware of, you know, the, the hallowed place that foundation, you know, sits on, on people's bookshelves, you know, with science fiction bands. But I'm also aware of the fact that that audience is a tiny subset of our audience. And right. for the show to work, it's got to appeal to people like my wife, who's very smart, but has never read the foundation books and has no desire to read the foundation books and does not consider mm -hmm. herself a fan of science fiction. It's it's. And so it's, you have to keep this very small, but vocal audience, you know, in mind at, by at the same time, making all these decisions that might be better for the larger mainstream audience. And, and there's, uh, there's always going to be a tension between those two things. Well, Lee Pace helped bring my wife along. I'll tell you that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and that was definitely by design. And we talked about it. It was my idea to release that scene early. And Lee was <laughs> oh, yeah. for it, you know, uh, but for sure. And, and, and we looked at season two and said, I, I think season one, some of the issues with season one is there was just inevitable expositional pipeline that we had to do that we mm -hmm. couldn't get around time. To, they were just, we just couldn't get around it. Uh, and then there are things, there were restrictions. There were, I, obviously I, there were a lot of stakeholders. I got a lot of notes. I would say season one, I'm kind of 70% happy with, but then by the time we got to season two, Apple and Skydance 
backed off a lot creatively and I just got away with a lot more. And oh, then great. some of it is a function of we just said, where can we improve? Or now that we are returning actors, a returning cast, we know what their strengths are so we can write for them. And mm -hmm. I saw in just a couple of small scenes in season one that Lee was quite good at comedy. And, yeah. and yeah. I said, so are you game? Let's, let's go in this direction. It's I funny. Think, that yeah. was, that was one of my follow-up questions was you go, go with it, John. Go. Yeah. With it. The, this season is just so much funnier than season one. Was that, that was this a conscious choice overall? I mean, yeah. you've got Hober Mallow, you've got the, the drunk and the monk as you've called them. Yes. I, I mean, yes. they're, they're all so funny. Well, the other thing that was interesting, particularly, I think, with some of Asimov's later work, is some of his stuff is kind of funny, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that was something that there was definitely an aversion to that with some of the other stakeholders in season one of like, oh, it's a serious show. We can't be funny. And okay. I would say, well, we're not making fun of it. And so I would sort of push little things in where I could. And there was a scene in season one where... Cleon, the oh, I think it's the thirteenth. I hope I got that right. <laughs> is upbraiding the imperial statisticians and he yells at one of them so much yeah. the guy has a heart attack and dies. That's and, a hilarious scene. <laughs> yes, but it wasn't rehearsed that way. And I and I happened to be on set that day, and I pushed Alex Graves and Lee to to do it that way. And you know, candidly, Skydance and Apple didn't were, were really uncomfortable with it, and I just had to stamp my foot and keep it in there. And then I said, that's the kind of stuff we want to do more of. And then with the introduction of Hober in particular, yes, the show is really serious, but that doesn't mean every character in the show has to take psychohistory seriously. And in fact, right. I, I think it makes for a more appealing show if some people are saying it's bullshit. Uh, mm -hmm. And then when that character, as you'll start to see with Hober, um, starts to come around and be heroic, it's even more rewarding. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, I'm really, yeah, yeah. I'm really anxious for people to see what happens in nine and 10, because if you liked Hober before, I think you're going to love Hober by the end of the season for kind of a little bit dropping the shtick in the end and, and putting on his big boy pants. Nice. I like Very that cool. a lot. I like it. It reminds me a lot of Matt and the Wheel of Time, if you're familiar with that world. Just I'm, this I'm ashamed hero. to say I've never <laughs> read any of the Wheel of Time books. I haven't watched the show. I know nothing about the Wheel of Time. That's Don't right. worry. I, I'm the same. John is a big fan. We're just starting our coverage. Uh, we're going to be dropping our first three episodes uh, in a couple of days, in fact. And uh, I'm the non-book reader in our duo. So, you know, it's fine. It's, it's a very interesting show to watch alongside Foundation because it also deals with the cyclical nature of humanity and free will. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that these kinds of cyclical shows are coming, not even just shows, but ideas. These ideas that are are not, you know, the the traditional Judeo-Christian, there was a beginning, middle, and end of history, but sure. we are going in these phases that keep repeating. It's a, it's, we're seeing a lot more new ideas come to television, and that's great. Uh, can I, can I, by the way, can I toss out, a couple, remind me to do a plug for a couple of things at the end, but, no, but sure. which, which of you is, 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 is like obsessed with Markley? Oh, that's me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. <clears throat> this is the all the only thing i'll say is we're kind of a victim of our own success in that we've 
we trained the audience that oh, yeah, every, uh, yeah, exactly. That <laughs> every single insert is meaningful or, or will pay off. And, and I will say the vast majority of them will and are intentional, but there's no question that you and some of the other sort of cottage industry people that are, yeah, you know, yeah. are analyzing the show are definitely sometimes seeing things that aren't there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and we have fun with it. And we're, there's a whole joke that sort of came out of the, with the bald move guys and everything like internet points and, you know, you're bent, you're yeah, betting yeah, your internet yeah. points. And I'm about to reap a bunch of internet points on season eight because I called the robot on the mural with the solar. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, for sure. Um, switching, uh, angles slightly. I wanted to ask you a little bit about not only your point of view, with Asimov and a big galaxy and society far out into the future, but then how you trans how you have translated that into your casting decisions and then also into the way that you've structured some of the characters. So giving constant um, two dads and having Bell and Glaywin um, and having a really diverse cast, Rachel House, you know, and having all these um, Gail, uh, Lulu Bell and, um, Leah Harvey, you, f the way that you're making this television show feels like the way television and movies should be made, which is who's the good actor? Who's going to play this role? Sure. What do they look like? Doesn't matter. What does humanity look like out into the future? There's all, all various combinations and, and, um, uh, formations. And I just really appreciated that. It, it, it's kind of refreshing. It shouldn't be refreshing, but it is sort of refreshing in a way to see such a, a, a great ensemble and, and a great way of storytelling. And I just wanted to sort of get into your head a little bit about like, how is it that you go about your casting or how is it that you thought about how I'm going to extend this Asimovian world? And what does that look like? How does human society, how do human societies look like in the future? Because there's a now that we're all coming from it and watching it with a context that we have and the stuff sure. that we're dealing with. And then you're presenting us a vision of something that's different, which is the great thing about science fiction, right? Is that we can imagine, you know, different ways. Um, I don't know. I just, it's, it's a broad question. And I just kind of curious as to where you want to take it. Look, I, when um, this show became a reality, yeah. I thought we had a really interesting opportunity in terms of our casting and um, our depictions of what the future looks like. And so I, I made the decision that it, it wouldn't be a show about race. It wouldn't be a show about gender, uh, but that we would just um, – we would definitely be inclusive in our representation and, and that, that would be enough. I also don't happen to like, uh, particularly genre shows that, that are soapboxy about an issue. Uh, right. I, I find that that is boring. And even going back to, um, something like blade, there are inevitable issues to dealing with race, but we don't, we don't explicitly talk about it. It's just sort of there in the background and, and it's entertaining. And so I decided early on that the empire would be awful, but they don't care what race you are. They don't care who you love. They don't care. They just none of that is an issue for them. Right. And it's interesting because 
you know, a small subset of the audience just outraged that, you know, some of the characters are gay or some of the characters are, are uh, of color and that the show is somehow woke merely because we're including them. Right. Uh, uh, which I find absurd and is more commentary on that, you know, maybe the people that are commenting on it. Right. But yeah, generally speaking, it's just best actor wins, right? Yeah, yeah. And and with the case of almost every, most of the roles, I will say to my casting department, often it's it's gender neutral. It can be male, it can be female, it can be any particular race. I don't care. Um, the only ones that I specifically stated had to be something is I, I wanted the empire to be representative of white American men. Right. Uh, because simply because, and look, I'm a, I'm a white American man. I have three boys who are, you know, white American (laughs) men. It's not, as I, I mean, I'm not ashamed of who I am or what I am. It's simply that, you know, Asimov, the, 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 the metaphor that he was exploring when he was writing was in a post-World War II environment, right? Yep. You know, uh, and, and a realignment. Atomic ashtrays and all. Yeah, and a realignment <laughs> of Europe and all of this stuff. And that's just not what's happening right now, although uh, weirdly enough with season two, it kind of is. And so I said, well, what's the metaphor that we're exploring right now? Well, the metaphor we're, in the background that we're exploring is, you know, all of these changes that are happening with the white male patriarchy and, and whether it be me too, whether it be, it's just, that's the culture wars to a certain extent. That's all of these things are falling in one way or another or, or being that's. And so I just said, that's, that's why I just think the empire should be represented by that because that is what, so many things are pushing against right now right. Uh, in the and it's world. It's going to resonate in with the yeah. viewers. A it's going to resonate. It's going to yeah. resonate psychologically with the viewers. Yeah. And so totally. that was the only instance where I said, I, I sort of feel like the Cleons should be this. And otherwise it's just anybody's, you know, game. I did, I did decide, you know, in the case of bell, um, I did decide early on that he and Glewin would be gay uh, and I just thought it was cool. And, right. you know, we don't, we don't talk about the fact that they're gay no. in the show, I, right. but just I just it. thought, right. And I thought it'd be cool to have, uh, a role model like that. And look, I'll be honest as well. I, there, I have, you know, an immediate member of my family is gay and that it, they were complaining about the fact how they don't see characters like that represented on screen often. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just thought it would be cool to do it. And I, that's what I was so remarking, what was remarkable about this season for me was that this, the way that you're rolling it out is you're not making it an issue. It is just what is, you know? Right. And, and exactly. It, exactly. And it, and it's, these are extraordinary actors. Rachel House has just blown me away this season. Um, amazing. Incredible. Uh, yeah. An amazing <laughs> villain. And the fact that she was, Terrible. you know, Good. Moana's grandmother. Yeah. Right, I mean, right, amazing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, yeah, best, best actor wins. And you're going to find best actors in all shapes and sizes and configurations. And, yeah. I, I also, because we cast, we shoot it in Europe, I I cast a wide net. And sometimes we'll bring on casting directors from Japan or India or things like that. And so I Yana, also- Yana, the actor who played Yana, yeah. she was wonderful. 
I also strive to find actors that particularly American audiences may not be as familiar with, uh, but who are really good actors. Right. That's great. Um, to stay sort of on a slightly international scope, I got really excited during, I forget the episode number, but when Bell and Glaywin are at the patrician's house on Suena. Yeah. And he brings out the book and it's the Mahabharata. And yeah. I lost my uh, shit. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that this is actually making it on do thing. I that love was me. that. Okay. That, was, that, that was that was me that included that. Um, I did you do did were you a fan of the Peter Brook um, uh, visual adaptation that was back in the in the nineties? I, I watched it uh, when I was younger. Yes, and um, that thing just knocked me out of my socks. It yeah, was so and I incredible. wanted. I, I we've been slowly sort of adding in these little nods to Earth or old Earth. Okay. Uh, you know, with Demerzel's box and mural and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's another one I wanted to add, but I, and, and there's no question that there are a lot of elements in the show that are kind of deliberately old Testament or deliberately new Testament or, you know, characters that are viewed in that way. And, and a lot of the um, influences, it will sound weird, particularly in, in it building the show were, were the old Testament. Uh, and, but I, I was, I wanted to start introducing some influences that weren't, judeo-christian right and um and i i'm fascinated i'm not an expert by any stretch no neither am i but but i was reading up on that and reading about that particular um exchange between the prince and the advisor and i just thought oh my god this is so parallels bell and glaywin we just have to lean into this um and there's i have to say and, and 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 it we'll come back to it in 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 a future episode as well. But there was another scene that we filmed uh, for episode nine. Episode nine is is quite long, and at one point, episode nine was like seventy eight minutes long, and it was just hugely <laughs> long. And it's all it's Can already we get that like, cut. Yeah, <laughs> it's already. I think I think we released a sixty five minute episode, so it's still very long. Right. But there's a scene we had to cut out between. Bell and Glaywin, where they are are working out and and doing this wrestling and debating the book and something oh. that that he read, and we had to cut it out for time. It's an amazing scene, but I'm hoping, um, maybe when the strike's over, I'll certainly release the script. What I'm one of the things I'm going to do at the end of the season is on my website I'm going to introduce. Uh, I'm going to um, do script pages for some of the scenes that we cut out. Okay. Or didn't film, but this one we filmed, and so I want Apple to release the scene. So that would be do uh, that. amazing because yeah. the the whole thing for Bell really goes into this whole question of Dharma, you know, which is yeah. that that conversation is, are you, you know, you are this and you are declared this, and this is your job. Have you done everything that you need to do up to this point? And then what is the next action based yeah. on who you are and the, you know all your choices and stuff? So. And I think it's a really interesting counterpoint too to determinism versus sort of free will questions. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully, you know, I, I guess I'll listen to your podcast after episode ten, and, and we'll see if we <laughs> brought that uh, brought that to a satisfying conclusion. I, I think we did. Okay, um, cool. You're always welcome back after episode yes, ten too. If you're you right. Really want. <laughs> I wouldn't. I won't. I won't rule it out. You know. Great. 
Awesome. Well, I think that's all the questions that John and I have. So we've got some listener questions. So uh, let's jump into those. Nancy M writes in, she says, okay, what I want to know is where were the relations between Day and Demerzel previously? And if not, why did they start now? Where were the relations? This I, day. This I, I day. Think, um, or other I, days. I, I think it was days. Yeah, she. I, I think I think you've misread it a little bit, David. Did I? Was, it, were, were there relations between Oh, yes, Day yes. There, there's a typo so in the thing. Sorry, these, my bad. These kinds of relations that they're having now. Yeah. So- Watch episode two hundred and nine for some of this. Okay, uh, okay. I can't. I can't reveal too much, but but we. It's a Demerzel heavy episode. I believe yes, is coming. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and um, I Demerzel has had relations with some of the Cleons prior to that. Um, it's quite possible that Demerzel has been the first being that most of the Cleons had sexual relationships with. Uh, and so I think what you're, I think day 17 is actually not a complete outlier. Although my personal headcanon take is over the last few Cleons, that's sort of fallen away and considered inappropriate now. Um, but for a variety of reasons, um, watch episode nine <laughs> <laughs> okay cool um Duve 71 one of our one of our friends wrote in and said bearing in mind asimov was a humanist and wrote extensively on religion we see a lot of religious allegory especially in season two was it a conscious decision to weave this in or would you say it's just in the dna of the foundation story he has not read the books uh well, well, Asimov, you know, did introduce this idea of the foundation using religion to sort of promulgate, um, you know, the cause, uh, scientism, they called it, um, in, in uh, some of the later stories in the first book. But we extended that further. And I said, if, if we're going to introduce the idea of the foundation promoting themselves via a religion and let's mm -hmm. really lean into it. And what they don't, what Asimov didn't do was uh, a much of an exploration into faith in, in the nature of faith. And so that just felt like something really rich to delve into for us. So I guess he sort of built the framework for it and then we fleshed it out. Cool. Yeah, that's that makes sense, and I'm I'm glad we ke we're keeping talking about the DNA of the show, like you mentioned. Yes, um, and that I think dovetails nicely into Brian eighty sixty three's questions question, which is, what kind of Asimov inspiration did you do you draw from in how you portray the religious aspects of the show, specifically regarding Brother Constant and cleric High Cleric Polly and the Foundational Church Foundations Church. There are characters in one of Asimov's stories that function in the way that Polly and Constant function, although they are not characters in the book. Um, and they are, um, you don't see a lot of it, but they, they, you surmise that they're a bit like, you know, medicine men, you know, traveling throughout the hinterlands. And I just really like the idea of that. And I also, I, I did a, um, a previous show called Da Vinci's Demons, which was kind of a historical fantasy. And in that era, I was always fascinated by some of these 
people indulgence uh, salesmen that were sort of wandering <laughs> yeah. Europe. And some of them had very elaborate kind of passion plays and shows. And, and there were a couple of quite famous characters. And, and that was something I really wanted to lean into um, uh, more. So I was sort of influenced by the idea of these people that sell people indulgences and, and, and again, built on, you know, the original inspiration of Asimov and, and said, where can we find historical antecedents for this uh, and examples of this? That's um, uh, the two with Hober selling the finger bones, the 38 yeah. finger bones and, <laughs> and all this stuff. It's, it really is an interesting choice. And I think it was a really smart choice to illuminate the, selling of foundation. Cause I don't think it's in the books. It's been a long time since I read the books, but I don't think we ever see the church of, of, uh, Selden out in the wild. And not, so, not, not to the degree that we, we know we right. showed in the show for sure. And it's, I think it's been a great device and, and the Paul, the actor who plays Polly is just so wonderful. Yeah. He's, he is great. The conversation with him. And, yeah. yeah but he, the conversation between him and day on the shuttle is just sublime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, someone, one of our, our contributors, one of our, our co-hosts on some of our podcasts, Marilyn Arbukila, who is a research librarian, and you will tell by her question that she is. Um, but she had mentioned earlier, I'm going to I'm going to now ask this question for her that she didn't ask, which is she had had mentioned uh, violence. The, the quote that you actually give to Polly in this episode, you know, violence uh, is the, the last resort of the incompetent. And she had had basically been concerned with the amount of violence of the show. You know, she's like, I, I don't know if, if there is, is too much violence because she does not like, uh, like violence in her media, I think, but it seems like the foundation is sort of turning a corner and, and, and that Polly is exploring this idea that's been with the foundation for a while. Is this something that you're, you're deliberately pushing forward as this, uh, this movement forward beyond this warlike foundation, or is this sort of just a nod to Asimov in this moment? Well, um, again, it's both, but built into Asimov's original writing was the idea that the foundation itself at some point might lose the plot mm -hmm. and, and might become corrupt and might become a bunch of function functionaries that were, more interested in, in retaining power, you know, uh, power corrupts. And I think we said in episode two and, um, something about foundation becomes empire all over again. And so one well, of the, we things see the, the heads of the, um, yes. wardens, right. As a signal right. of yes. the same as the right. Cleons and yeah. yes. And so the, all of that is very deliberate. Right. And I, I think that, um, you know, if the show goes on long enough, we are building to a clash between between the two foundations. Oh wow! You know, the, the okay. after Empire falls, nice. There's actually a clash between the foundations, which I think will be really interesting. Cool. That Very. that that sounds great. Uh, I should probably ask Marilyn's real question now, which was, um, she's guessing that uh, you named Harry's memory disease after the Greek river river of forgetfulness. Yes. The, I think Lethe is, is yes. how you say it. Uh, yes. Well, that, that's a great confirmation. Uh, there's so much more rich content, she says, in the series about memory. Can you talk about your own relationship to memory and why you decided to make it a theme in the series? So, um, 
yeah, I heard you guys talking about this. So sadly, um, while I was making uh, season one, um, my mother, uh, we, we shut down, I think on March 12th in 2020, like the rest of the world. And I flew home and my mother was acting odd for the few months prior to that. And just as we hit the pandemic, it became apparent that she was losing her mind and had, had contracted or developed, um, bad form of dementia called uh, Louis body dementia, which is the same dementia mm. that led Robin Williams to kill himself. It's very fast. Uh, you become paranoid. And so my mom over the course of like three to four months just went off a cliff and went from Nana to my three kids to just thinking we'd all been replaced by robots. And, and, uh, and so I was uh, looking at having to, to declare that. her, it's okay. But I was looking to have her during, during the lockdown, which was even worse, yeah. having her declared sort of mentally incompetent and put into a, she couldn't function anymore. And again, this happened over the course of like four months. And so that was very much happening in my personal life. And then she actually contracted COVID and passed away uh, a couple of months after that, So sorry. which, which was actually a blessing given yeah. the hell that she was in. But Yes, that was very much in my personal life and in my mind when we were writing season two. And I just said, screw it. I'm, I'm just dealing with this so much that I'm just going to make Harry kind of a proxy for my mother in that regard. Amazing. Wow. And that's that's writing, right? That is what yeah. writers yeah, do. Yeah, they don't exactly. just you bring in your, words out. Yeah, you bring in your personal. I know. It's amazing. I mean, the 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 studios actually think a lot of them that they can have scripts generated by AI and just have us polish them and humanize them. They actually think they can do that. That's, that's not just something hypothetical. That's what they're working towards. And right. this show just would never exist in under that format. No, the, I mean, the scene with uh, Day and, and Sarah in bed when they get engaged, uh, yeah. you know, like that is, <laughs> how, how do you, you can only write that have if you have some sort of lived experience with that, right? Yeah. That is incredible. I mean, even though it's science fiction, we bring a lot of our own experiences to this. And, you know, even famously in Batman Begins, the whole reason he ended up going to Bhutan is because I had done a six week trek in Tibet and was showing Chris Nolan all my photographs from it. And that led to these conversations about let's bring Batman to, we didn't want to do Tibet because it was too polarizing with China. So we made it Bhutan. But the point is in a million years, I never thought my own personal experiences would feed into a Batman movie or, you know, would feed into foundation. But yes, we do that all the time. Uh, okay. Uh, Alicia, who is one of our co-hosts, she uh, co-hosts on our MCU show and uh, she's going to be on our Wheel of Time show. And she's got her own podcast as well, covering the silo books, uh, Wool Shift Dust. And she's doing a big Dune wraparound. Uh, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. obviously we kicked, a, you know, the movie's been kicked down the to 2024, but she was sort of prepping for Dune 2 to come out and she was um, looking at who Frank Herbert was and the, you know, the video games and the Yodorowsky documentary and all this stuff. So she, she's got a two part question. One is Dune related. One's not. And I'll do the okay. Dune first, which is, you know, are you a fan of Dune and have you intentionally put any Dune things in here or is it just, we're swimming around in 
you know, the, the soup that is of, you know, the sixties of, you know, science fiction is that just built into the DNA of all these stories. I, I, I am a fan of Dune. Dune quite obviously was influenced by foundation, uh, right. because, uh, yes. galactic yeah, empire stories are, yeah, the, fun, yeah. Foundation came out, I don't know, 12, 14 years before Dune. I read right. Dune first when I was in junior high, uh, watched the Lynch movie. Um, love the Lynch I, movie. Yeah. Hot mess, I think, but I love it. <laughs> I think Denis Villeneuve is, is one of the best directors working today. And so I, I love what he's doing. And I think Denis shares a similar aesthetic to me, uh, and also sure. to Chris Nolan in terms of like doing things, um, practically as much as possible and, and, and trying to pull from historical references and antecedents as to just making up science fiction. But I, I will say in most cases, it's unconscious that having been said, quite a few of our crew members worked on Dune. So there is a, or conceptual (laughs) artists or things like that. So there is a, you know, if you think, if, if you're in the art department and you're looking for some big world building show or movie, you know, what entices you? Dune is something thoughtful. It was probably Dune and or in our show, like right. in terms of just like we're going to do like a big, thoughtful science fiction. And so there, there's definitely between those three sort of stations of the cross, there's definitely some cross pollination going on just in terms of the crew. Nice. Right. Um, Alicia's. Uh, other question, which kind of taps into John's earlier question about adaptation and inspiration. Um, she says, going into this, knowing you were going to have to change a lot, what was one thing that you thought was most important to keep from the books? One, one thing. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, th- look, there are a lot of things. We don't sit out to just change whatever we can willy-nilly. We try to preserve as much as we think we can. Mm. I mean, that even led to me, and we reread the books before every season that even led to me including a bunch of dialogue from the general story, which shows up at the beginning of episode four between right with the patrician. Uh, yeah, yeah. The patrician yeah. bar and, and Bell Rios. And I just happened to really love that dialogue uh, and that exchange. And I thought it was lovely and poetic and sort of unusually. So for Asimov mm. um, and, and kind of witty and wistful. Um, I, I think that the, uh, Look, the genetic dynasty is obviously something that we created whole cloth. Uh, I think the inclusion of Demersel, which is a character that doesn't appear in the original trilogy, but appears in the prequels and the sequels, was something that uh, I was really fond of. Definitely the nature of psychohistory and and we will get to them. The mule is something that I loved the mule. And I love the story of the general. I mean, my favorite book is the second book. Okay. Um, and so I love the character of Bel Rios. And I love the character. Ironically, a lot of the stuff that I love the most about Foundation is in our second season and our third season. It's just that we couldn't, we couldn't start with that. Hopefully that answers that. Got it. All right. Well, I think we're, we're pushing time. So let's jump into our speed round really quick. And these are sure. hopefully just, just real simple questions to answer. Um, Jean, who's one of our other co-hosts uh, on our MCU show, says, if you could write or produce one comic character, not Blade, in either a comic book story or movie TV show, what would it be? Who would it be? 
I mean, I, I have an unproduced Dr. Strange script that I wrote for Columbia Pictures way back when, about 20 years ago. That was pretty fun. I, I was uh -huh. always a huge Dr. Strange fan. Um, at, when I was a kid, I wanted to write uh, for The Incredible Hulk. Uh, and that was definitely something that I was interested in exploring at some point, even up to, you know, eight, 10 years ago was doing a run on the incredible Hulk. I think it would be fun. Although I don't go, know. Yeah. Would you go back to the, uh, you know, wandering around, uh, Bruce Banner, uh, thing or like the old know, TV the, show? Who's the one, oh God, what's the name of the writer that did the immortal Hulk? I thought that was terrific. I thought okay. that was, that was such a, a recent fascinating reinvention. It was, you know, really exciting. Um, right. but, uh, I would be afraid to write Fantastic Four because I don't think I'm smart enough to write Fantastic Four. <laughs> At least okay. smart enough to write it in a way I would want it to be written. To be done. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Good. You know, um, so we have one from Marilyn who we've already heard from once, uh, but she wanted to know, and this might be might be going into some spoiler territory, so feel free to pass, but who yeah. programmed Demerzel originally and who reprogrammed her to serve Empire? The answer to who reprogrammed her, you will learn in the first 10 minutes of episode nine. Okay. Uh, nice. In terms of who programmed her originally, that is not something we will get to at least until season four. Can you blink three times if uh, um, R. Daniel uh, Oliva is involved at all? What are the original robot characters? Oh, from? yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yes. I don't even have to blink. Okay, yes. cool. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So in season two, episode one, was there filming from season one that tailed into season two because yes. hairstyles and costumings yes. changed and they just felt very yes. totally? Okay. Yes. Got it. So there were definitely some scenes from season two that we filmed during season one. The scene with uh, Raish and Harry in 205 we filmed during season one. Right. We also filmed. Oh, that uh, scene in broke me. Uh, it it's, so a, it's a great scene. So I mean, good. what's crazy is we filmed that scene like three years ago uh, <laughs> and we're just sitting on it. Uh, the little message from Dorwin uh, where Farah interrupts him was filmed during season one because we said we're not going to bring these actors back just for this moment. And then uh, some of the stuff um, um, on the. Um, thatched roof on Synax mm -hmm. was filmed during season one because we filmed that on a water tank in Malta okay. and we weren't going to go back there as well. <laughs> so, you know, but, but that being said, there were still some stuff that we had to film some reshoots that we filmed on a sound stage for that where the hair definitely didn't match and the lighting didn't match. Right, we yeah. tried, we tried our best. Right. Uh, Fair enough. I just wanted to make sure my eye was catching the, the yeah, for sure. Uh, in 204, uh, where the stars are scattered thinly, when Rue and Sarath are ending their scene, um, there's a very, there's definite normal lens oh, flare oh, coming yeah. across. That's a, that's a, that's an in-camera lens flare. That, that's, are you serious? That's real. Yes. Oh my Lord. That thing is yeah. huge. I know. And so what's <laughs> funny about that is the, the, the editors did a pass of that scene and it was good. Uh -huh. But then I always, I always then come in afterwards and I have right. the final edits and, and I said, I'm, I'm just curious, show, show me the other setups of this or show me the other, you know, um, the shots 
And I said, like, what if we go back for the wide again? Show, show me like all the takes of the wide. And I think there were five takes of that. Uh-huh. And then one of them just happened to have that crazy lens flare. And I said, why the fuck didn't you put that in? Like, <laughs> like that's the one. That's how we end the scene. But yeah, that was not, not fabricated. That wasn't okay, a JJ, cool. JJ Abrams. Right, right. Awesome. Um, the banyan tree, was that a specific yes. choice in terms yes. of storytelling? Uh, the vine. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It's also yes, just an incredible, it's an yeah. incredible tree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, and this is my last uh, speed one. John's got a couple more. Um, how much is, of the mural has actually been drawn out and how much versus how much we've seen? Oh, well, what's implied is we've only seen Right. Yeah. The half of one percent. But I, I think we've cer- what's been drawn out is certainly at least double, if not triple, what we've seen. So you've got so, more in the story. Oh yeah. And w- awesome. what happens is nice. they'll produce sections of the mural that are relevant to the stuff that we're um, that right. we're, we're dealing with that season, and then they'll reskin the set at various points in time, and then. I mean, it, it really comes down to like this stupid idea of like, well, can the, can the, can the art department get in there and reskin the set in time for these people to come in or not? So sometimes like, oh, we can't, even though we might have another section of the mural that's even more relevant, they literally can't get in overnight to change it. So we just have to say, fuck it. That's what it is. Right. And so I'll, t- I'll t- they might produce six or seven scenes per season and they'll say, okay, what are the three most important ones? And make sure that we have those in these scenes. And then the others will be targets of opportunity if, if the art department can get them up in time. There'd be some great merch. I'd love yes. to have some on my walls back here, some, you know, mural scenes. So, John? Cool. Yeah, you know, you mentioned at least season four. You know, it sounds like you have a long roadmap ahead of you. And the books are very much, you know, exploring big ideas, but taking characters one generation at a time, right? They, mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. it's not letting you follow one specific character throughout the entire history of this galaxy. Are you planning to do a similar thing after a few seasons and sort of bring us with different characters? Or are you hoping to follow Gale and Salver and Harry throughout this whole story? So I, I do have a plan for eight seasons, but who knows if we'll get there. So I have an off-ramp that I think is satisfying at the end of season four, one at six and one at eight. Okay. And so as things progress, hopefully I'll get indication from Apple, like we're pulling the plug after six and I can at least bring us in for like a soft landing. But that being said, uh, a handful of the characters will make it all the way through to the end. Mm. Maybe. Tantalizing. Maybe three. Well, that's not true. Maybe three will make it all the way to the final season whenever that is and um two of them will make it all the way to the end end i know what the end is whether that be at the end of four six or eight two of them okay so it's the same ending it's just you have different ways to get there at those different yeah yeah the very end it's all worked out yes okay but but sort of the final battle can change depending on or depending on who it is, depending on mm. which season we get to. I will say, though, that there are some characters that we are introducing in season three 
that will be around for two or even three seasons, um, wow. possibly even four. So there's some characters that haven't even been introduced that will be around for a while. Wow. Cool. Um, here's a fun one. Uh, how did you come up with the design of the male, male desterilization machine and why is it so terrifying? <laughs> okay. I called it the can opener. Uh, I said I wanted to look really nasty. I probably looked at six <laughs> different designs and, and uh, you know, obviously people saw it in action in episode eight uh, and uh, as it sort of tunnels new channels in the I can't remember the, the technical <laughs> term. I just wanted to look nasty, and I, I wanted to be. Even though, even though the doctor says it's a really relatively simple procedure, I thought, well, no, it should it should still be pretty nasty uh, mm -hmm. and, and pretty painful. And I think the 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 reaction that Cassie and Bilton does is pretty painful. Yep, yep. Uh, one more question I have, which is, what was the most challenging scene to shoot this season? challenging scene i mean obviously the naked fight with day was really challenging um, <laughs> okay <laughs> but i think that the execution scene with you know day and constant and poly i mean that was just a bear i mean we ended up shooting that over five days weather changing it, you know we shot it on the ocean so everything where their sky was ocean and waves breaking and stuff like that and hundreds of extras and stunts and that was just a logistical nightmare and and you know i was terrified of how it would come together but i think it's a really thrilling sequence yeah plus you had to wrangle becky so that must not, yes. not have been easy <laughs> exactly <know>? exactly <laughs> poor went out for becky yep um i think we've got a little time so i want to squeak this one last in here can yeah, yeah, yeah. can we decode the opening sequence quickly Yes. You know, the credit the, sequence? To, yeah, yeah, to the extent that I can, yes. Yes, the, the extent that you can. So first we've got a black hole, right? Obviously, that's... Yeah. She, yeah, right. Then we've got well, Empire. And the, well, the black hole is obviously thematic, and assuming we get to the end that I want to get, will be very thematic for the end. Okay, very cool. We've got, obviously, Empire jump ships. Um, yep. We've got an Empress who... Uh, I thought it was Hanlow at first, but I think it's now Winnicent because they yes. make a statue it's, of her. It's Winnicent. It's, it's Winnicent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then we have the Prime Radiant. Yeah. And then we've got in, the the Prime Radiant in a female hand, which no one oh, has pointed out. Oh no! It was I a male that. hand. It was a male hand oh, in season oh, one. Okay. And now it's a female hand, and that will be even more relevant by the time we get to the end of the season. Making a note of that. Yeah. Um, then we've got some Empire warships jumping in, but to what planet? Because it's got this big star halo. Yeah, so that that it, you guys were reading that the, the specific planet is just a design element. That's okay. we're right. reading too much into that. Okay, oh, fair enough. <laughs> cool. Uh, we've got the Empire's flags and tatters, and we've got yeah. the Cleons crumbling. Yep. And then we have a statue of a woman uh, with the, some pyramids in the background. That's meant to be Seraph. Okay, cool. I, that's what you I know, thought. or symbolic for Sarah. Yeah, yeah. And the way that her robes fall yeah, is really yeah, great. Yeah. Then we've got the Prime Radiant uh, to Harry Seldon in red wings, so he's like this prophet sort of figure. But then there's a little blue green planet hanging up in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Is that that? Earth? Well, the blue green that it could be. Could be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Then we've got a torn face, so I'm assuming that's Demerzel. That's Demerzel, yes. Yeah, right. And then we've got this is the one that I still cannot figure out. We've got the Prime Radiant 
Um, and then we've got over you know, with this crumbling hand with Harry. And then There's we have the, the, the Dominion mothership in the background yes, of that. That's one, yeah. what I don't know what it is. Yeah. That, it's the Dominion ship that you see in episode two. Okay. Got it. All right. Good. So I'll, I'll decode it. I just couldn't understand what that little shield like yeah. thing was yeah, yeah, to yeah. the o- opposite of the. It's, it's hard balls. with the particles. Sometimes they're not yeah. as, 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 um, clear as we want them to be. Okay, cool. And are you going to have a different one for three season yes. three? The idea okay. is they'll keep changing as we go and there'll Love be it. little Easter eggs that will sort of foreshadow events that are going to be happening in the season. Love it. Um, cool. okay, quick. So while to wrap up, just curious about three things, movies, books, TV shows, anything, any kind of piece of media that are, current for you in terms of inspiration, in terms of the work you do or the things that you're interested in personally or professionally? Uh, well, a no brainer is Oppenheimer. Uh, okay. But I also am very late to the game. I'm watching that documentary with my kids, Light and Magic, about the formation of industrial light and magic, which is fantastic. I think it came out last year. Oh, wow. okay. uh, I was blown away by beef. Uh, oh, really? Fantastic. Okay. Uh, and the, they stuck the landing on that show so well. Uh, in terms of books, um, I've been reading An Immense World by Ed Young, which is a you know nonfiction about how animals perceive their world and mm. j- just wild stuff like that. Like birds can see into ultra birds can see all sorts of colors that humans can't, th- that we Maybe. can't even approximate. Uh-huh. And so, just like what that blows me away. What like what would that be like? Um, th- I just recently read a book. Uh, by I think his name is Christopher Buhlman called The Necromancer's House. Uh, he also wrote a book called Between Two Fires. I think he's the, the best genre writer writing in fiction today. He he can write in horror. He can write uh, fantasy. That, that guy's just amazing. And then I've been listening to um, Making Sense, which is a podcast by Sam Harris. Uh, I just think that guy's super smart, and I like his take on the world. Awesome. Nice. Great. Um, and then I, people can check out davidscore.com where I've been posting show notes and I have, uh, people are signing up for a newsletter. I'm going to do my first drop. I'll probably do them like monthly or something like that. And with the newsletter, I may drop some things that people can't get elsewhere. And then I grudgingly joined Instagram just this week. <laughs> and, um, I have a trove of behind the scenes, photos and videos and stuff like that, that I'm going to be trickling out, um, over the course of, you know, the next year. And then, um, so yeah, check out Instagram, check out davidiscore.com. And then if, if I can come back at the end of the season, I'd love to come back. Very cool. That'd be great. Thank Um, you so much for, for doing this with us. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, it, it was a pleasure for me and I, I really appreciate like the thoughtful analysis and, um, it's uh you guys do a good job well thanks for making a show that we can dig into because that's what we love to do on on the pod honestly it's not not easy to talk about a show where there's not a lot of layers and you've provided an onion worth of layers for us that's right <laughs> I, you know cake. i made i made the kind of show that i wanted to watch and yes. i made a a show that i hoped if people watched it a second or third time they would pick up nuances and and things that they hadn't picked up the first time Right. It would bear repeated viewings. Well, David, the other David was better than you. I got to <laughs> say, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping him and I'm sending you home. 
Much more handsome than me. I, at least he and I have the same hair and beard styles, so and glasses. There you as go. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can pretend that you're David Esquire for the rest of the season. I need some. Yeah, I need to be a little hipper, though. I'm not as hip as he is. I think. <laughs> well, you both like the Mahabharata. We've we've learned. Oh, that was yeah, that was great. I'm glad I got to ask that question. I, I wanted to nerd out even more. I think we could have gone for another, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes easily, but we really restrained ourselves. He's a busy guy, though. Yeah. So, well, again, uh, thanks to David Esquire for joining us. Thanks to the PR team that uh, helped uh, arrange this. Um, they were great, lovely people. And um, yeah, I'm just really excited to have that opportunity. So cool. Quick, quick notes for our affiliate podcasts. So Properly Howard Movie Review, I'm finally getting the name right. And they are going through their remake season. They just did RoboCop and Dune Part One, which we were on that podcast. And they're about to come out with a podcast about the wolfman so uh that's monday september 4th that'll be out and you don't even have to watch the movies you can just listen to them bullshit about nothing honestly <laughs> the the uh robocop episode they spent about 10 minutes doing a riff on cocaine bear cocaine bear they, going they wrote to a sequel new- yeah <laughs> it was hilarious it was i almost spent <laughs> my coffee in new york out. yeah yeah it was yeah. hilarious very good stuff uh got plenty of stuff coming for that podcast and on our other affiliate uh will shift dust does dune we've got alicia over there talking about the dune series which is pretty close to foundation and vibe so if you like foundation you'll probably like dune so go over there and get your proper noun dictionary together because there's a <laughs> lot of them and uh read the books with her play the video games watch the movies and all the other dune cultural stuff she's going through yep uh, for us, boy, we are coming to the end of Foundation, um, and I will be sad about that, but I will also be happy because that will mean that we're not covering three big shows all simultaneously because we've got Ahsoka yeah. yep. and Wheel of Dime is about to uh, kick off. So the I think Wheel it will have kicked of off by then, right? Yes. The Wheel of Time, our first three episodes are out, so right. you, can, you can listen to them right now. We dropped them all on the same day on the premiere date. And uh, hopefully we're going to be able to catch up with some of our other projects. We're just sort of maxed out, but we're going to rejuggle our schedules for September. So stay tuned for future programming notes about what we've got coming for the rest of the month. John, um, none of this would be possible. We wouldn't be able to have talked to David Esquire without the support of our lore master patrons and all of our patrons. Thank you, frankly. So I don't know. You want to share some words of thanks for our lore masters? I would love to. And they are Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Doof 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwang Yu, Laura G, Dead Eye Jedi Bob, Nathan T, and Alex V. Woo. Yeah, that's a big these, list. These are the people getting us David Goyer on here. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and uh, all of our patron uh, subscribers, thank you so very much. We really appreciate it. It's um, It's been an incredible year so far, and it's not over yet. So you guys, no matter you know whether you're just a regular listener or especially the Patreon subscribers, you keep the fuel in our tanks and keep us moving. So we really appreciate every one of you. Absolutely. David, Sir. it was fun talking with two Davids today. Yes, it was. <laughs> and uh, it really was. It was a pleasure. And I'm excited to talk about 
uh, this season of Foundation wrapping up with you. I'm excited to, to sort of consider the cryptic things that Goyer said <laughs> as we go forward now that I have ideas swirling in my head. And yeah. uh, I hope everyone had a great time and I hope you'll join us for the rest of the season. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>